Hello, and welcome back to the Holistic Women's Health Podcast. I'm so excited to have Caroline Saba on today's podcast episode. Caroline is a functional nutritionist and a functional medicine practitioner. She works as what she defines as a functional womenologist with a focus on functional womenology, combining functional genomics, which is genetics, DNA, and coaching for women's health and well-being from the inside out. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Yes, I'm so excited to talk to you and talk about this subject because this is all new on the podcast. So just to start off so we can get to know you a little bit more, if you could share your personal health story, what got you interested in nutrition and health in the first place? Okay, so when I was a baby, just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Although I say that, but um, my health story actually started at one years old. Uh, at one years old, um, they found that there was like a malformation in my urethra, which meant that I was um, at risk for chronic urinary tract infections. And in order to protect my kidneys, the doctors back then, the only thing they knew the best thing to do was to put me on antibiotics until after I was a teenager. So for 13 years of my life, I was on antibiotics. Oh my goodness. So you can imagine what that did to my microbiome, right? Which is our gut flora. So from there, we'll jump a little bit forward. Um, and from there, as a teenager, unfortunately, I got the kissing disease, mm-hmm. Epstein-Barr virus. And I started getting a lot of fatigue. fatigue. Um, I then went into law school. I became a lawyer. The hours were crazy. Exhaustion set in. Stress was immense. I became pregnant and I had a premature baby. From there, the stress increased even more. And my baby's fine today. He's doing wonderfully. From there, the the stress increased even more. Um, We decided to um, move to New York City. We thought that we can kind of get that traumatic experience behind us by moving to New York City. So that was August 2001. And then 9-11 happened when we moved. So that was trauma number two. We had a premature baby with us. Um, and I'll just tell you, it was, I, there's a lot of things I don't remember. Just to tell you how much, tra- how traumatic that whole event was, there's a lot of things that I can't remember. We decided to come back to Canada. But from there, I can tell you, my health really started declining. We went on vacation thinking this is going to be great. Dominican Republic. I get this unknown virus. We don't know what it is. End up in emerge. I get pericarditis. And from there, it just gets worse. (laughs) Anyways, that being said, my first diagnosis, because I was like, this is crazy. I couldn't function. I couldn't think. I was constantly in pain. I had to take care of this young baby. Um. And I was working. I had come back from litigation when we came back to um, Montreal, because that's where I'm from. Um, I went into mediation. So I was still working. I was really sick. Um, And at that point, I said, okay, enough is enough. And I started to try to find out what was going on. And the only diagnostic that they can give me back then was fibromyalgia like chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia, we just don't know where to put you because we don't have the answers, right? Mm -hmm. 
And from there, I'm like, okay, well, I can't live. And the doctor, he was lovely. Like there was, it was this lovely man who's like, I am so sorry, but you just need to learn to live with this. And I'm like, ah, uh, that, that's not going to work for me. <laughs> yeah. You're not talking to the right person, right? So at that point, I'm like, okay, well, thank you, nice man. He's like, you know, you can read this book, but he's like, you kind of like have to manage your life and do what you can. And this is your reality from now on. So I'm like, okay, well, no, that that's just not going to happen. And from there, what happened is that it coincided with uh, my husband getting a job offer in Toronto. And he's like, honey, because I was a lawyer from Quebec, we had postponed moving to Toronto. He's like, honey, can we just move and you can take care of your health? And I'm like, you know what? Let's just do it. And we moved here and I started looking and searching for answers. And what I found is that uh, the first thing I found is nutrition. Mm -hmm. I found that, you know what? I could help myself with nutrition. So I went to the Institute of Holistic Nutrition and I studied nutrition, right? And I started seeing it was pivotal. Like it really had a huge impact and really helped me. And from there, um, I started getting much better, but I did uh, get a diagnostic of Hashimoto's. So it's the immune, um, thyroid immune disease, autoimmune disease. And from there, I'm like, okay, I love holistic nutrition, but it was almost like it was just uh, um, an allowance to even go and no more. So I started studying functional nutrition, and then I went to functional uh Medicine University to study functional medicine. And from there, I discovered genetics. And let me tell you, bringing all of these modalities together and the genetics piece has really made a huge impact in my own health. Mm -hmm. But I didn't stop there because what I realized is that all this trauma that I had lived had created this maladaptive stress response in my body. Mm -hmm. And I started looking into neuroscience and into the limbic system, the vagus nerve, like, and, and these are all, and I apologize, these are all terms I'm throwing at you and you're like, <laughs> what is she talking about? But just know this, it's just, um, what I'm talking about is how stress can be such an important factor in our health and in our recovery. And I think that that was a factor in trauma, right? And that was kind of a factor that I hadn't really addressed. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, so that's it. And then I became absolutely passionate with genetics. And one of the reason I think my passion grew with genetics is when I had women and we would sit down and look at the reports yeah. And they would go like, oh my, but I knew this, like this makes, so like I'm getting goosebumps right now because it was kind of this confirmation of, okay, so I'm not crazy. Like my inner sense, my inner wisdom was actually, my intuition was actually right. And I found that it was such a um, really empowering, really empowering tool. Mm hmm. Oh, my goodness. Thank you for sharing your story. You've been through so many ups and downs. And, <laughs> and oh, my goodness, I love that we're going to talk about genetics and, and that piece, because I, I really do feel like that can be a missing piece in a lot of people's health 
And for some reason, we're just not talking about it enough. You know, when someone goes to their nutritionist or their naturopath or their chiropractor or functional medicine doctor, and that's a big missing piece that we don't talk about. We can put you on, you know, different diets and supplements, but if you're not addressing the, the genetics piece and, you know, the issues and the tissues and the trauma and all that stuff, then sometimes people just aren't going to get better. So I really do commend you on what you're doing. And I think it's just such a beautiful specialty to have. And, and thank you. Thank you so much. And, and you're so right, because when we're looking at genetics, um, and we'll talk, we'll jump into the terms so that people have more clarity. But before we do that, because you brought in trauma, when we're looking at genetics, we can actually see when we may be more predis- predisposed to having kind of a maladaptive stress response, right? So then that takes away like kind of that guilt or shame that we're sitting with. And it's like, oh, okay, it's just the way my body processes it is maybe not as effective. So it can kind of keep take that load off and really allow us then to really focus on the healing. When we're looking at supplements, what we're realizing with genetics too, is that not all types of supplements will be the right type for you. So if we're looking at the vitamins right now, the big thing is metal Bs, right? Like metal B12. It's not actually not the right form for everyone depending on their genetics. Because they can actually, it can um, bring them in overdrive. So their pathway may actually be in overdrive instead of, so we're no longer supporting it. We're actually putting that pathway in overdrive. So it really allows us to look at the person. And I always like to say informed by you, because we're really looking at the person as a unique individual based on their genetics, their blueprint, if you want. So fascinating. I love that because I do have, I think, two clients out of the the few hundred that I've seen who always say, whatever the supplement, the medication, the pill, I have the opposite reaction. And then that makes me think, I wonder what's going on with your DNA and your pathways and why that's happening to you and you're having the opposite reaction. So you make such a good point there. Thank you. So you did mention some of the, the, the terms and things like that. So if we could get into just breaking down some of the basics. So if this is a totally new topic for a lot of people, then they, they can understand a bit more between, you know, genetics, genomics, um, you know, SNPs, DNA, genes, blueprint, gene expression, some of those terms, if you could break some of those down for us. Perfect. Okay. So let's start with, uh, with the first thing. So genetics, right? So genetics is the science of the genes. When we're looking at and how your genes uh, will express in relation to your environment, to your food. Okay. Then there's the other term, and I'm just going to bring it up because we see it uh, thrown around also nutrient genetics. Okay. So that's also, it, it would be the same than genetics. Okay, so just think that these two genetics or nutrigenetics is how your uh, genes will respond to food and your environment. When we're talking about nutritional genomics, when we're talking about genomics, when we're talking about nutrigenomics, that we're talking now about how we can influence the expression of mm-hmm. your genetics. So if you look at me, for instance, I kind of define myself as a genomics nutritionist. Why? 
because I'm working kind of on the expression, on the support of your genetics, right? I'm just, okay. So that's when we're looking at the epigenetics, it's also the expression. It's all how your genes will express. So nutrigenomics and genomics is how we can support the expression. So it's the science of supporting the expression. Mm-hmm. And then epigenetics means, epi means above the gene. Okay. And what happens is that what happens above the gene will have an influence uh, on how your genes will express. Mm-hmm. Okay. There are different things that can, so methylation can be something that impacts meti, um, the epigenetics or histone modification, but that, like we're getting in the science and I don't want to lose you there, but <laughs> just think about epigenetics being environmental factors, um, how your life, your lifestyle has influenced um, perception could be an epigenetic factor. There's ancestral, because we talk often you'll hear ancestral um, that may be have you may have this little tag on your gene that comes from an ancestor and that now is influencing how you're um, expressing your gene. Epigenetics is so we know nutrition is kind of a new science. Like let's not it's it's so nutrition is a new science. So we're like really starting to skim and really understand what's happening. Genetics is really a new science too. So it's constantly evolving, right? Like I mean, for myself, I literally have one day a week where I'm going through new science that's coming up because it's so involving. Epigenetics is even more of a new science, an exciting new science. Uh, and that will start hearing more and more and more about. Um, yeah. So SNPs now. There's single nucleotide polymorphism. Okay. That's what the big long name means. (laughs) What it means is that there is a variation in the code of your genes, okay? Our genes have these codes and there's that variations from what we call the normal, what you'll see in the uh, most of the population, there's a small variation there, okay? Now, in some cases, that variation in our lifestyle today is more beneficial than if you had the normal gene, which was beneficial back in the day when we were cavemen, for instance, okay? Just to understand, because sometimes people get confused about that, but just to understand that sometimes it's actually better to have that variation than not to have, okay? It will serve you better. Now, um, in, there's when we look at, uh, there could be insertion and deletions also, but just think about variation, in your code. That's all it means. So SNPs are variation in their code. Now, that being said, genetics, um, I think what really can scare people of getting their genetics is that they think that their genes are set. They're completely set and they're not because we've just talked about genomics, the science of genomics, epigenetics, how we can actually influence the expression of our genes, right? So getting your genetic testing should be a really empowering tool. Now, I do caution some of my clients where we chose not to do their genetics because for them, it would have brought up so much anxiety 
potentially identification with their genes mm. that we felt it wasn't the wisest decision. And that's where I really want people to have that discernment because there's, and we'll talk about that, but now there's uh, ready to consumer. So there's genes, you don't need to go through um, a practitioner, and I said genes, but genetics. You don't need to go through a practitioner in order to get, get those tests. But just know yourself. If you think that you're going to see red, 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 yellow, and you're going to go, oh my God, I'm doomed, then yeah, I, I would caution you. Either do it through a practitioner that's actually going to empower you in knowing that it, it's not doomed. Okay. It's not what it says. All it is, is their um, guidepost. Mm. That's all they are. They're guideposts to guide you. Okay, there's street signs to tell you, oh, maybe I should stop here, or maybe I should go faster there, or oh, yield, yield, right? So look at it that way instead of looking at it like, oh, that's it, I'm doomed. I have the worst genes um, ever. Right? Honestly, if I was looking at my genes, there is a lot of red in my genetics. <laughs> I honestly wish I had known long ago. Because it would have made this whole health story that I've just told you so much more useful for me and um, less painful. Yes, definitely less painful. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. So we talked about the genes. I'm just trying to see, is there anything? DNA. So DNA is really, it's our DNA, right? Our genetics is our DNA. It's really talking more about the codes. Okay, it's like those those little strings. Yeah, so the codons, that's that's what our DNA is. Um, what you'll be hearing a lot thrown a, around about testing is you'll hear nutrigenomics testing, lifestyle genetic testing, uh, genomics testing, functional genomics testing. Like there's all these, and then people are like, I don't understand what's going on. Okay, so I just want to break it down into think of it this way. There is medical genetics where we're they're looking more at mutations. And when you're looking at mutations, the impact is bigger, greater than when we're looking at variation. Okay. Medical genetics is run by geneticists or medical doctors or clinics. And oftentimes they're looking at cancer risks or things like that. Okay. So those are the ones that have more impact. That is not what you can buy yourself. That is not what your holistic or your naturopathic or your functional medicine doctor, or even your, your doctor who's doing more of a lifestyle medicine is doing. What they're doing is the other test that you'll have called lifestyle genetics, nutrigenomics, um, functional genomics, genetics, right? Like, so it becomes really, but it's really understanding that these are two. Then there's the ancestral tests, which are like 23andMe and the ancestry, which are, again, different. They do contain um, the raw data of your genetics. And what you can do from these tests is run it in a software where it will break it down into a lifestyle. Let's call it um, a genomics test. Okay. Let's just call it a gen. Let's just, I, I just hope we one day, because it shouldn't be called nutritional genomics test or anyways, into that type of test. Okay. Um, 
The other thing that I think um, I would caution people is when you buy direct to consumer, and I'm not saying don't, I'm saying do consider afterwards paying for a session with a practitioner. Of course, I really sound like I'm self-serving here, but that's not why I'm, I'm saying this. The practitioner will know the validity of the test, first of all. So if you go through a practitioner, they're working with companies that they know they can trust. Privacy is not an issue. They're not selling your data. Um, you know that they're using uh, high-impact um, SNPs variants because, you know, like we know a lot. So you can have all these, but then you're testing things that really don't have that much impact. And it gets really confusing. And what they can help you to is they can help you navigate. Because in genetic testing, what can become really confusing too is that you have different types of reporting. You have single gene reporting and polygenetic reporting, where they're polygenes reporting. Okay, so what do I mean by that? Single gene is they're looking at one gene and they're like, this gene does that. And because of that, you should be doing that. But as holistic practitioners, we know that a gene doesn't work alone, right? It works as a whole. It works in an entire pathway, right? It works in systems. So the danger with that is that then you're looking just at one gene. But it doesn't mean that the gene maybe doesn't have that much impact because it's being, um, how can I say that, uh, muted or kind of like influenced by other genes. So the impact is not as strong as the way it's being reported. So it's just when we're looking at polygenetics and a lot of the um, genetic companies now are starting to report that way. So DNA company, DNA, um, DNA labs. 3x4 genetics, they're all now starting, they're not starting, but they have been reporting in a polygenetic way, which means they're looking at the genes as a whole. Uh, the um, Yes, they're looking at genes together for, let's say, cardiovascular risk, um, right? Mood and behavior. So they're looking at systems rather than looking at just one gene. That is super fascinating that, um, well, first there's one thing that you said that I just wanted to touch on because you mentioned it, but I, I feel like it plays a really big role and I don't think people realize, but you said sometimes you wouldn't run a test depending on the type of person because people can identify with what shows up on the test, just like you know, people really identify with their zodiac signs or with their traumas, or, you know, if a situation happened to them, that becomes their whole identity. And if something were to show up, like, let's say on the 23andMe, it does show, you know, breast cancer risk and gene based on family history. Like you mentioned, there's epigenetics, and we can change our genes. But sometimes people will take that and just connect with it. And that becomes their identity. So I just wanted to bring that up again, just so people can really soak that in just to say, if you do one of these tests that it doesn't have to become your identity. So that was fascinating what you said there. 
And it really doesn't because I think, and, and again, think about epigenetics is perception. If you start perceiving yourself as, well, I'm going to get type 2 diabetes. I am going to have cardiovascular disease. I am then, that has a huge impact, right, on your health long-term. So um, I think that having discernment and really being um, aware of that is really, really, really important. And you're so right because people may have a tendency sometimes and and we do it in so i think so here's the thing i think human nature has this deep curiosity most of us in understanding and once we understand we're, we can like justify and identify but there's a danger in that and and i'm just going to bring up i work with human design also and and people are probably like, what is she talking about now? Like she's bringing this whole thing. Just just I'm just gonna bring it up. It's more like a um, well, astrological, science based, whatever. But when you work with that design, it, it, think about personality. It's a lot more than that. People will identify as their type. Oh well, I'm this person. But there's a danger every time we kind of like want to over identify with something. There's always a danger. And what you're doing is you're often closing doors to possibilities and opportunities, right? And the reality is in our health, there is infinite potential. There is this immense inner wisdom from our own bodies for healing. And we don't want to impede on that or to, yeah, influence. I love that you brought that up just yeah, that's such a good point to touch on. And as you're talking as well about, you know, the the ancestral types, just curious, how big of a role does family history play compared to epigenetics and how much we can influence that? So it it does, it plays a role, but then you always have to understand that you do have the power to influence how you're going to in, express your genes, right? There are some cases, and but then we're talking about mutations, we're talking about genes that have an impact that is a lot bigger, but those are the not the ones that we're testing. Those are the doctors, those are those are very different. Okay. But when we're looking at the ones that we're testing, we have a lot of influence into what we can do in our lifestyle, what we can do in um even our mindset or perception or nutrition, uh movement, right? Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Just curious, just so we can open up the conversation a bit more about what is tested and why is testing even important. So I know I did one and I did download my raw DNA and then worked with a practitioner to uncover different things about how I process caffeine and stuff like that. So if we could talk about some of the things that are tested and then why you believe that testing is important for some people. Okay. Ah. So <laughs> there's so many things tested, right? So I'm gonna put it like a kind of in, in in buckets if you want. Sorry guys, like I'm a little hairy issue here, wardrobe. Um so it the there are many things that, that we're looking at. Okay, so I think let's start with you just brought up caffeine. So let's look at that. So we we can look at how you metabolize caffeine. So those that's one of the the the, the genes um, that we're looking at, the variation. So the SNPs that we're looking at. So 
you can look at caffeine, you can look at alcohol metabolism, how you you metabolize alcohol, which can have, it is not just related to alcohol, it can have so much more impact because then we're looking at the impact on um, other health, um, potential health issues, okay? So just understand that sometimes when we're also looking at the caffeine gene, that gene has a lot more to do than just caffeine because we're looking at a phase one gene that the detoxifies in the phase one detoxification, right? So they put it as caffeine, but your practitioner can look at that gene and see a lot more than just the caffeine because it doesn't just process caffeine, okay? We um, can look also at nutrients, okay? So, and this I think is a good one for somebody who's vegetarian or vegan. And it's not, I'm not here to say you should, you shouldn't. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that there are certain nutrients that we can see genetically that you cannot convert well to the active form that your body can use. So you'll get it from the plant form, but from the plant form, it needs to be converted to an active form that then the body can use. And what we're finding is that once we know that, then we can try to support the person so that they don't become deficient in that nutrient. So like, for instance, vitamin A is one. Uh, we can look at the omega-3 is another one, right? The, that conversion can be really hard uh, to do. So those are like good points that we can now have and say, oh, okay, that's important. Understanding also B12, can we be more deficient or are we at risk for deficiency in B12 and folate? And those are really important in the methylation pathway. And when we look at methylation, which is the MTHFR gene that everybody talks about, we have to understand one thing. First and foremost, it's a pathway, okay? So there are different places where you may be less proficient, let's say, okay? Those pathways, whichever we're talking about, we're talking about methylation right now, but the, there are many, many other pathways. Those pathways need certain nutrients, and once when your practitioner knows about these nutrients, they can really make sure, let's say you're symptomatic. So you're showing signs that that pathway, and these are things that's really hard for somebody that doesn't know pathways. So that's where the direct to consumer becomes an issue. Your practitioner can then say, okay, so you do seem to be expressing like you're struggling in that pathway. Now I kind of know where I need to support you and what nutrients I need to come and support you, okay? Because when we're looking at the methylation pathway, for instance, we're looking at DNA repair, we're looking at cell membrane, we're looking at neurotransmitters, hormonal balance, immune system, right? Like it really involves, but the methylation doesn't work alone again. So oftentimes, and especially at the beginning, but we see it less and less because I think the practitioners now are not just talking about MTHFR. People would come and they would tell me, I'm MTHFR. And I'm like, okay, let's just look at your genetics. I understand that you do have a, um, a potential uh, susceptibility sorry that's where my french comes in and i get all tongue-tied susceptibility 
um, with your MTF chip. But let's look, are you expressing? Is there symptoms? If there's no symptoms, right? Like it's really trying to understand what's happening. I want to stay in the methylation pathway for one more minute just because of this. Our body, just to show you how our body is intelligent. In that pathway, if it gets gunked up, there are other little pathways that are available to keep the machinery going, to keep that pathway going, okay? Now, we also want to make sure that these have the proper nutrients and there's not any variation there so that they're also working, right? But just to tell you how our body has made these little changes in order to support, because, you know, they're, they're and I don't, I don't never want to talk in absolutes ever, okay. But there are many of us that do have some sort of implication in our MTHFR, in our not, but not just MTHFR. I should say, I don't want to just say MT, but in our methylation pathways, right? Mm -hmm. But um, so, but the body has this innate, beautiful wisdom of coming up with other ways to support us. Super fascinating. Isn't it? I know. It's so just <laughs> has me thinking about how then the liver plays a role in digestion and, you know, then the immune system that's in our gut and then hormones through the liver and how that all the body just to me is so fascinating. It is. And how it all works together. And what would you say is one of the most important reasons for someone to get a genetic test? <sighs> if you had to pick. <laughs> I just say, for me, it's empowerment. Mm. Mm -hmm. That is really the first word that comes to me. When I, um, when I find out about my genes, um, I felt so much more empowered in the strategy. Because what happens oftentimes, so here's where I think genetics plays a huge, huge role. It's in the why not the what. Okay, so we have a lot of functional testing that will show us what is happening, but not necessarily the why it's happening. And the reality, we often hear root cause, and it should always be root causes, because <laughs> it's very rarely just one root cause, right? Mm -hmm. And what I find with genetics is that it really um, gives us a clearer strategic way of addressing things. Now, the danger is that there is so much information that can come from a genetic test. It's not overwhelming the person with that. And again, that's why I think a practitioner becomes important because they can really go at, okay, I under there's all this happening with you, but I also understand based on what you want, because it's always important to look at what our client wants first, right? Like what is the most important for them? thing for them. And then from there and what we're seeing and how they're expressing in terms of what's their symptoms, what's their health history, what, what are their goals, then we can really kind of break down a very strategic way. Okay, so you know what, let's start with this first. And like you would do if you're doing gut healing or hormonal healing. But now we're really looking to the why and then we're going to address like the one, two, and three. Like, and we're going to start working on that or else it just becomes like <laughs> quite overwhelming. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
That's I love the empowerment and root causes and because that's how the body works and everything is interconnected. You did mention a little bit about the MTHFR. So I'm curious if we could talk a little bit more about some of these mutations that can get uncovered through this testing and talk a little bit about, um, well, first of all, what MTHFR is, because I know that's super common, especially when it comes to, you know, pregnancy concerns and things like that. So if we could break down some of those mutations and then other things that can be uncovered through this testing, if it's... I know weight is a huge one through DNA, sports performance, detoxification, inflammation. So if we could talk about some of these areas too. Okay. So I'm just going to do a tiny correction. It's not really a mutation. I want to call it a variation, right? Because for me, mutations have a bigger impact and, and those are not the ones that we're looking at, right? So when we're looking at, so MTHFR comes within that methylation process. And I don't want to get into the itty gritty, but when you're looking at methylation and into that, that uh, kind of that process, then you're looking at a lot of the um, kind of the helpers and the cofactors that you kind of need in there, right? So then you're looking at um, the efficiency of that cycle. How efficient is my cycle? And that cycle works in different ways. And there's different SNPs in different parts. And then there's like the B12 plays a role. And then you have B9, which is folate that plays a role, right? And what you want to do is you want to make sure that you're supporting because we talked about all the reasons why that cycle is important, that biochemical pathway is important. And you just want to make sure that you have all of the cofactors that are there. But then it, it goes more. You, you go beyond. When I talked about the ones that are kind of coming at the bottom, we're talking about um, the choline pathway and the betaine pathway, which is great because when you're looking at choline, you're looking at like, for instance, eggs and you're like, okay, so I can really support this with, for instance, choline, which is a nutrient that is so not spoken about. It is so important. Choline is the nutrient that if finally it's starting to get recognition, it is so important. Okay. So for, for, for brain health, for so many cell membrane, uh, cell membrane health, sorry, for so many, and then betaine thing beats, right? Like, oh, okay. I can support that pathway through, um, through beats. When we're looking at, um, methylation, you'll, um, I'm just, trying to think the in that cycle there's a lot of cofactors that are needed like in terms of the amino acid you will need um, methionine is a really 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 important one right and that's where you really want to make sure that you're having a diet that where you're getting all of your proteins so amino acids are these little um strands that will make a protein okay so um, methionine becomes a really important point there. And then you're looking at, yeah, we, so we talked about the B12 and the B3 and the B. So that's why when people talk about methylation, MTHFR, so MTHFR is part of the methylation process, but it's not the only one. There's MTRR and MTR. It's just about where things are happening. Okay. Um, when um, and when you're looking at nutrients, oftentimes what they'll talk about is the importance of the greens. They're talking about the importance of getting your bees. Okay. Now, 
depending on where there's a little um, variation happening, then that will also help your um, practitioner determine what type of B12 you would need, what type of B9 you would need. Mm -hmm. And what we're seeing more and more is that um, people are taking a lot of supplements and they're compounding the effect. So now they have bees in this one, they have some bees in here, and they have some bees in here, and they're not realizing how much bees they're actually putting into their body. And when we have too much of certain bees, even if it is a water-soluble, if there's too much, we can start seeing side effects, right? So it's just understanding how we can't overstimulate a pathway either. So it's just... Which is yeah, a P PSA public no public the P well whatever that public just be careful. Look at your supplements. Make sure you're not like compounding so many like zinc, for instance, is another one. Right, right now we know how zinc is important, but people are taking so many zinc supplements coming from different, not realizing that they may impact their copper. There's like there's not going to be that proper balance between zinc and copper in their body. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, I've said it once. And I'll say it again, people should not be just willy nilly taking supplements without speaking with someone because it can do more harm than good sometimes. And a lot of people don't know that zinc and copper fight for each other. And yeah, the different types of bees, the dosage as well, you know, all it, even just with B12 alone, all the different forms of B12 alone, you know, which one can be best and do we take them all together? Do we take them separately? And yeah, so I'm just loving this conversation. Yeah. So, and to talk about other pathways. So for me, let's say one that was really um, eye-opening was my, for my mitochondrial health. Okay. So the, those little energy uh, cells. Um, and for me, understanding that my genetics, there was right there and um, something that could put me at risk for being less efficient um, in, in kind of clearing anyways. And I'm not going to get into the biology of what happens, but that, that variation really helped me understand, okay, so this is how I can support my mitochondria. And there was something there. Um, and, and, and now I know. So that was really one that was extremely impactful for me and kind of that pathway. Um, there's, oxidation for instance or inflammation right so there's all these genes that can tell us if you may be at an increased reach a risk i'm sorry for uh inflammation and once we know that then it really kind of helps us um support you right so and it also helps us um, when if you're doing because I work a lot in um, immune health like psychoneuroimmunology so it's really like immune health looking at your innate and your adaptive right so so your how you react uh, your acute sorry the first reaction of your immune system and then how your adaptive immune system is and once we look at your genetics we can kind of understand why your adaptive now is more reactive like autoimmune disease and from there we can kind of start supporting you and kind of supporting a balance between those two systems 
uh, in immune health. Um, women's health, hormones, like hormones are fascinating. We can spend an entire podcast just at looking at genetics and hormones. But what is beautiful is they really show us the pathways of your hormones and where there might be like kind of these, um, where these, um, it, it, it either goes faster, it goes slower. Um, if there's a blockage that may be happening here, why you're clearing more this way, why you're clearing less this way, right? When we're looking at uh, estrogen clearance, then we can really look at, okay, well, this person will have ten tendency to push more with this type of estrogen or she'll push more towards this type of estrogen. And when she pushes, whichever type can she clear it because then that's another pathway and that shows us is that pathway blocked you know less efficient or is it not right so there is tests that can show us if you're actually but your genetics will also tell us if there's a potential predisposition and should we be supporting that mm-hmm. there's so much that i'm just loving about this <laughs> Just <laughs> there's so much information and I'm trying to really make it simple, but it, it's, <laughs> I'm loving it. Like you said, uh, we could spend a whole probably day afternoon talking about hormones, Just hormones. genetics. It's such a fascinating area of the different pathways. And I know that was something in doing even the Dutch test and just getting yes. that, you know, specific hormone picture of the different pathways that estrogen can go down and then how your liver is clearing it. And and I know for me with, um, I had to have emergency surgery when I was 13 to remove a ruptured cyst. And then many years later, I did a DNA test. And when I got the raw data and was looking through it and, and seeing some of those hormone pathways, there was more of that estrogen piece that was showing me that I was prone to getting things like cysts. And I was like, that is so fascinating because I am super prone to cysts and, and estrogen type of things like fibroids as well. And so I was like, this is really empowering. Now I know I should be supporting my liver and supporting these pathways and clearing some of this estrogen so that doesn't keep happening. Exactly. Isn't it like, and for me, it was the whole empowerment of the mitochondria and I knew mitochondrial health for me and immune health. (laughs) And that's the reality. Again, I'm going to say one thing and then I'm just going to say, oh yeah, but this too, and this too, and this too, because the reality is it kind of all goes together, but um, you're right. Like, and I love that you bring the Dutch because that's the test I was referring to. Uh, I just you know, didn't want to start throwing more words out there because I'm like, you up all these things. But yes, with the Dutch test, it's beautiful. But see what I like, the Dutch test is showing us the what, mm-hmm. right? The genetics tells us why. Yes. Yeah. I wish we could just combine them all. I know. I know. <laughs> but test for everything. I, I, I wish. But here's the thing with genetics, though. You test once, okay? Mm-hmm. The reality is you test once. And then you have it for life. And there has to be really something hugely traumatic. And we're not going to get into that. Because for the the regular population, it's one test. So you do one investment. And then that test is yours. And then for life, it's a strategy. It's kind of your blueprint. It's your strategy. It's like, okay, this happened. Because the reality is our health is always kind of, you know, we live in a fast paced world. There's a lot of toxins coming at us. There's a lot of things. What if you were exposed to mold, for instance, which I was in 2018? Um, 
And I was predisposed genetically to not clear the mold as well as my some of my family, right? So it got me really, really, really sick. So then you kind of have this uh, blueprint or this strategy that you can go back to to help put in place a protocol to address what's going on with you. And that's something you can do for life. So I have clients coming now to me with um, bone health. So now we're looking at how bone health can be influenced. What's happening? How are they processing their vitamin D? What's happening in terms of collagen? What's happening, right? It's like, how are they breaking down bone or restructuring bone? Are they getting, so we can really support them in bone health. Cholesterol, what's happening? Why is this happening? high blood pressure. So these are all variants, right? You talk to me about the different variants that can, that where we can come in and go, okay, like this potentially can be happening in fitness, for instance. Mm-hmm. Fitness is still um, going under a lot of research. So we don't have as much research to tell you, okay, you should be doing exactly this amounts of reps, this blah, 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 blah. It's still like, we're not completely there there. What we do know is, are you endurance or strength training or both? And then, you know, it doesn't mean that if you're endurance, you should never do any strength training because that's really good for um, your bone health, for instance, or for your metabolism. But it does mean that you will do better with endurance. But somebody else like me, if I go and do endurance long term, it will create inflammation in my body. I don't do well with endurance. If I don't give myself recovery days in between, which I'm not so good at doing, (laughs) being honest, (laughs) it will create. Well, listen, if you tell me you can play tennis seven days a week for four hours a day, I am in my body. (laughs) Unless I really support it, right? Uh-huh. So it's just understanding like those rest days are really um, maybe really important. Or how are you supporting your body if you're creating your more prone to inflammation? How are you then supporting your body for that? Mm-hmm. And injury risk, right? Are you at risk for certain types of injuries? Like Achilles. Yes. Ouch. Happened to me a few times. Oh, God. <laughs> Oh my goodness. It is so fascinating. The stuff that you can uncover on, on these tests. I know just as, as an example for mine, my genetic testing said that I had more of the athletic performance type. So I can go those long distances and can train really well. But on the other hand, I'm also prone to holding on to fat a lot easier. And I was like, that is so interesting that genetically speaking, I can, you know, work out and, and perform really, really well. Like athleticism was up there, but if not, I am more prone to holding on to fat. And I was like, this is fascinating. And it is fascinating because if you only knew, like I have clients coming in and I work a lot with women, perimenopausal and menopausal women. And I have these women coming in and they're pulling their hair out and they're like, but I work out all the time. I don't understand why I cannot lose weight. Now, when we get into weight loss, there are so many reasons. Is your body protecting you and holding on because there's too many talks? Like there's so many reasons. Is it hormonal? Is it? But I want to touch on one point. There are some genetically that they can exercise all they want. Mm -hmm. It will not support weight loss in Mm -hmm. any way. 
Yeah. Right. And so then they know that and they're like, well, that makes so much sense now. Right. So it's really, that's again, where I say it, it is so empowering. And even when we're looking at macronutrients, we respond differently. Some will do better with, if we're lo- looking at carbohydrates, like higher, higher carbohydrates, others will do much better. If they want to preserve lean, they'll do much better in a higher protein. They'll need a higher protein diet, right? Yeah. So it's even in micronutrients, you can really start understanding what your body needs. Mm-hmm. It's so fascinating. There's so we much. didn't even talk about cardiovascular. We didn't talk about brain health, which I love. Like it's one of my favorite gut health. Yeah. There is all these markers that can tell us, ooh, yes, somebody that comes in with SIBO and you look at your their genetics and like, yep, there was a predisposition to for that, or IBS, or you know, autoimmune diseases. So there's all these um guideposts. Mm-hmm. that can really indicate and and help us strategize 100 percent, and that's why someone should work with you and and uncover some of these things because there there's a couple areas that you mentioned that i feel like are going to be really popular areas mitochondrial health i feel like is going to be really popular these next couple years and mental health and DNA. I feel like that brain health, mental health connection and DNA is also going to be really popular these next couple of years as well, because it's so fascinating, just all the, the, you know, predispositions versus, you know, epigenetics, which is something I want to talk about um, right now, if I could ask you what types of things can impact our DNA. So I know you mentioned stress is a big one, trauma. Are there other things like smoking or sunshine or, you know, the environment that we're in? What, what are some of these things that can influence our, these genes? So, so for sure. So your environment is big. So our exposure to toxins, unfortunately can have a huge, um, a huge impact. Um, Stress is a huge, huge one. Perception, mindset. Like, I, I'm sorry, but unfortunately, uh, and, and Bruce Lipton said it the best with biology of belief, right? Like, um, our mindset is a huge, huge player. And it's not about, you know, being feeling guilty about having negative emotions, because if anything, do not suppress your negative emotions, because that will have not a good impact, epigenetic impact on your body. It's really about allowing negative emotions, allowing emotions, observing them, but eventually you need to let them go because they're Mm -hmm. energy in motion. So they need to move, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So that has a huge impact. So people, and you know, there's so many things you can start doing without knowing your genetics right away, right? You want to reduce the burden on your body. Okay. So if you think of your body as a barrel, we learned this in school, right? The barrel. (laughs) Think of your body as a barrel. The more you put in it, and depending on your genes, your barrel may be just a bit bigger. It may tolerate a lot more. And some people, and that explains the 92 year old woman that's smoking and she's healthy and she's drinking and her barrel is a bit, and this is an oversimplification. I understand that. I'm just trying to illustrate that. Her barrel is a bit bigger. She can put more in her barrel before it starts overflowing and you start seeing symptoms, okay? So if you look at that barrel, 
you can start uh, looking at ways to decrease the amount of things that are in your barrel. So um, just look around you. Is Are there ways where you can reduce your exposure to toxins or your exposure to chemicals? Are there ways for you to be in connection with nature, right? Because we are, we're humans. We're, we're meant to be in communion with nature. It's not a woohoo thing. It's what we are. We're part of this earth. We're part of this planet. Nature is part of us, right? It's called vitamin nature. So if you can be in nature, um, even just um, going outside, you talked about sunshine, obviously, like sunshine, exposing our eyes for sunlight in during the day is a good way to, to support. Um, and then you're supporting your circadian rhythm also, so your hormonal balance, right? Um, so we talked about mindset, we talked about lifestyle, I'm just uh, trying to think. Um, there's ways to support the methylation pathways also. So if you want to support that, then you're looking at um, those greens, you're looking at uh, foods high in B vitamins, right? And I'm not saying necessarily don't go out there and buy B vitamins. What I'm saying is that just look at foods that can kind of support that pathway choline, like eggs are high in choline, bethane, beets, right? So that's another way. Um, get the proper sleep. Like if, if, and, and it's such an easy thing to say. So I'm always cautious because it's like, well, manage your stress. And people are just like, well, thank you. Like I'm totally trying to manage my stress, but there are ways to manage stress, right? So if you're looking at, um, book ending your days for instance okay mm -hmm. if you can start your day in the morning where you can really ground yourself and it may be with um, a meditation it may just be visualization it's just breath work there are different things that you can do um i really really like um heart map mm -hmm. heart map right? Because they really bring you in coherence. And that coherence, I believe, can have a huge impact in supporting um, expression of genes, right? So, um, because then we're really uh, diminishing the impact of stress. Um, and if you can do something, and some people won't do well with meditation, so that genetically we can actually see the ones who will do well with a sitting meditation versus a walking meditation. And if you're the one that's like on their chair and you're like, okay, I'm going to go crazy. This is actually stressing me more than it's up. Just go walk. Just walk. Just, just walk. Just 20 minutes a day. Just walk outside. Go. Uh, and bookend your night also. And there, you know, like you can, um, if you have a tendency of waking up and you have all these worries and you, you're just keeping them, these anxieties, just drop them in a notebook, just literally. And sorry, you vomit them on a page and then you put that away, you close that door and then you support your sleep by different uh, modalities. And I'm sure you cover all the different ways that they can support sleep. Um, what else did we talk about that we can do? Um, oh, return on ingestion. So food, yeah, and that's not mine. That is Amanda Archibald from the Genomics Kitchen. She's one of my mentors. Um, so it, return on ingestion, what I mean from that is like whatever you put in your mouth, just make sure it's nourishing. 
right? If you can, I'm not saying that you cannot, you have to be completely deprived and you can never cheat and you can never, but most of the time, if you can really nourish your body with whole foods, that will also have and diversity. Now, that's really easy to say to people that don't react to all foods because when their tolerance is so low, they can hardly eat anything. Well, they also need a practitioner to support them at that point. But um, just make sure that that return on ingestion for you is big because food speaks to your genes. Mm -hmm. They're building blocks. I absolutely love that and totally agree that Food, I mean, for everything as well, even, you know, mental health and, and hormones and everything. So I love that you said food speaks to our genes and, and, you know, making sure we're eating the right stuff and yeah. And, and not, you know, fast food for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and just making sure that we're getting some of those eggs, B vitamins, beets, diversity, probiotics, fermented foods, and all that stuff. And again, but fermented foods, some have a genetics predisposition where they can't tolerate it. <gasps> Interesting. That yeah. I did yeah. not know. Yes. So then there are ways that we can work and we, we can work on tolerance. And we, anyways, there are ways, but genetically, when we're looking at histamine, there are some people that, uh, and that will explain why, you know, they're eating, they're like, but I'm trying, but I'm like, I'm sneezing and I don't feel good. I get dizzy. Um, collagen is a big one so I have these women saying I can't tolerate collagen what's going on and so so that's there's always an explanation <laughs> behind why something is happening to you right and sometimes we really have to work hard in uncovering that explanation because oftentimes it's can be very tricky and we there's always an explanation it doesn't mean we'll always uncover it I should be careful because it's true in some cases we won't um but I just think histamine is another big one. And I see that a lot in uh, my clients uh, when they they in perimenopausal and they go through menopause and it's because of hormones. And I'm not going to get into all of that, but um, it's another fascinating um, area of talk, which is um, histamine intolerance and when they start reacting to a lot of things. Mm hmm. I, I've said it once and I'll say it again and again and again, but I truly believe however many people are on this planet, there should be that many different diets because let's say you and I could eat the exact same thing, but I do not like cilantro. So there's, you know, my variation. <laughs> I do not like that, you know, so 7 billion different people, 7 billion different diets and no two people will eat the exact same and react the exact same to everything. So I do. I love this whole conversation. There is a couple more questions before I let you go, but I wanted to ask you if there's anything you feel that is misunderstood or misrepresented when it comes to this topic. Yes. Oh, so much so. <laughs> well, first of all, I think that we really clarified the difference between ancestry types of testing and then the medical types. So these different types. So I think really we've touched on that. Um, that genetics results are not private and that your insurance company can come in and ask for it. And the government is like, um, if you're working with a practitioner, um, you know, that practitioner should be, I'm sure is looking into, um, 
what type of company that they're using or ask your practitioner, but I would doubt a practitioner would do that due diligence making sure that uh, your genetics is being destroyed. It's not being shared. It's not being sold. It is completely private. Okay. Yes. So that's that. That uh, what's the point of knowing my genetics if I can influence my genetics? Well, we just touch on all of the reasons why it's a good idea, right? Uh, the other way, the other one is why should I get a practitioner? I think we've also really touched on that. Um but I think there's a lot of practitioners out there right now that are debating a lot about like the um, validity of using genetic testing. Um, and it essentially because they say that we can influence so much. But again, I think that this whole conversation has shown how it could really, really um, help us have a strategy. And there it could be a truly, truly empowering tool. I'm just trying, is there anything else? Let me just look at, I did take notes because I get all in my head and sometimes, oh yeah, that genes are set in stone and we know they're not, right? Like genes are not set in stone. Mm -hmm. Um, That We talked about practitioners focus, we should just focus on one or two genes. No, things are in system. We're looking at things holistically. Um. And genetic testing, guys, is not a diagnosis. Mm-hmm. I just really want to bring this forth. It is not a diagnosis of any kind. That is not what genetic testing is. So that's another misrepresentation. I'm just, I think that's pretty much, yeah. Covered? Okay, good. I, I like those last couple points just to, again, reiterate, not a diagnosis. We can influence our genes, epigenetics, eating the right things, knowing what you're working with, I feel like. And like you said, it's empowering knowing all these these tests and, and having that and being able to influence or change your your path is just extremely valuable. It is valuable. And I think, again, it's what I just see. And I think that's why I love genetics so much. Like, don't get me wrong. I love a good GI map because that I can nerd out in like a Dutch test and you're just nerding out. But your client is not nerding out when you're telling them their GI map. They're like, oh, okay, great. Thanks. Like, okay, now I know what's happening. But in genetics is to see how your clients um, react and how it could be like, like I said, right, like, they're like, Oh, but I knew this, that this, that reaction for a practitioner is life changing. It's such, Mm -hmm. I'm so grateful. It's such a gift for me to be able to um, give that gift to to other women and truly, truly empower them. And really empower them in knowing that their inner knowing and that intuition. And I'm coming back to that again because I think it's really important. And we've a lot disconnected to our intuition or our inner knowing. And I think that um, just that is is yeah is really powerful. Mm-hmm. I completely agree. One of my final questions for you is: There anything that we didn't get to touch on that you just want to share with everyone, even if it that has nothing to do with genetics? If there's a quote that you love, a life lesson you learned recently, um, anything to add to the current topic? Anything that comes to mind? Wow, I'm just I'm just trying. There are so many quotes that I love. I'm just um, 
Okay, right now I'm having a mind blank. But you know what I want to talk about? I just want to get back to, um, I'd, I'd like to talk on two topics that we didn't really address, but I think that are really, really worth talking about. I want to talk about the vagus nerve, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know if you've addressed the vagus nerve in your podcast before. Not yet. So let's dig in. <laughs> okay. I just really want to quickly touch on it. And we're not going to go into deep, but I think it really is worth knowing because it has such a huge impact on our stress or digestion, like huge, huge impact. So we call it the vagus nerve, but it's actually nerves. And it starts here and it goes down and it goes into our main organs. Okay. And it sends signals. One of the best way to know if your vagus nerve has been kind of impacted is when your heart coherence, we talked about that, right? Heart map with heart coherence, right? When your heart coherence, it's like kind of these waves, when they're not coherent, then we know that most likely, it's one of the indicators, most likely your vagus nerve will need activation. And where I find vagus nerve can become such an important topic is in inflammation. Mm -hmm. It plays a huge, huge role in inflammation. And one of the main nutrients to support vagus nerve activation is choline. So remember, we talked about choline and I said how we don't talk about choline sufficiently, not enough. So the role of the vagus nerve is really big. And, and then like, I'd love if you want us to jump into that topic, I'd love to, but there are really easy ways where we can kind of support um, our vagus nerve, kind of what we call vagus nerve activation. One of them is breathing, first of all, so that heart map or that deep breathing and really bringing ourselves back into coherence will really, really help with uh, vagus nerve activation. Uh, singing, mm. right? Singing, like all the vibration here will stimulate vagus nerve activation. So singing has a huge, um, really, really helps. Uh, cold showers. So again, when I say that, people, please be careful. Don't start taking cold showers. Sometimes it's not a good idea, depending on your health. But just know that a cold shower or finishing your shower with cold can also really help with vagus nerve activation or cold water just on your face can help. Mm -hmm. There are certain essential oils that you can put behind on the mass stored bone here behind your ear. And those are lime and clove. And they can mm -hmm. kind of really help stimulate also the vagus nerve. There is, um, there are these, um, they're called the tens. Um, and, and it's, it's kind of this, um, oh, Caroline, um, I've got the word in French, appareil, but that's not. <laughs> um, are these little um, things that you put and they sent a pulse into, um, into kind of your muscle here. And it's kind of a way that we uh, could also support vagus nerve activation. But that, again, I would tell you, go to a practitioner and maybe bring that up. You know, if you're like, oh my God, I want to go back to Alex and I want to talk to her about, you know, maybe activating my vagus nerve. And what about the tens, right? Because you have to go really, really, really slowly. If you go strong, the things and I'm like, ah, it's like supplements, right? People are like, oh, I'm going to start these supplements. And they're like taking, oh, okay, it says three, I'm going to take 
three. And then they're like, oh my God, I feel so nauseous. And it's like, okay, first, were you supposed to take it from with food or away from food? Were you supposed to take it in the morning or were you supposed to, right? So there's always, so it's slow. Yes. And depending which stage you're at in life too, if you're already crazy stressed, you have Hashimoto's, you have a lot going on, you're dealing with a stress and a trauma, slow, 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 slow. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then is there, so gargling, gargling though, it really freaks people out. Like it's not the first thing that they want to do, start gargling and gagging because gagging is another one. It's like, they say, put a, a spoon down your throat, a gag. It's like, nobody's like, what? I'm gagging. I'm sorry. So there are other ways, but I think breathing is one of the big ones. And, um, so I, I mean, we've briefly touched because I can go, I've made, I've had talks where I speak for an hour on the vagus nerve and everything that I can do for the body. So this is briefly, but I just want to bring it to the forefront, maybe of of conversation or of people's minds, right? If they're dealing with inflammation, digestive upsets and things like that. So that's one. The second one, I want to talk about human design for two seconds. Okay. Mm -hmm. So Human designs is based on uh, astrology. So yes, there is a woohoo component, guys. I'm fair warned here. There is a component. I always say that I um, work with science and ancestral uh, wisdom. Okay, I kind of work with both. I am very scientific based, but I'm also very open to other things that I think we do not really understand well, right? Um. So it works with uh, the astrology because so you need your birth date and the time, unfortunately. And I hope if you have your little your little baby book, it's probably written in there. And the time, it's based on astrology, the I Ching, the Kabbalah, and quantum physics. Okay, so there is a huge um, scientific component that comes in also. So there's the more mystical with the uh, scientific and the ancestral, like the Kabbalah and the uh, Yeah, Um, Human design, the reason I want to bring it up is because for me, it was so empowering. This is probably, so I would say for me, what was really empowering in my whole health journey was nutrition, genetics, and then human design. Love it. (laughs) Absolutely love it. And what human design is kind of here to tell you, it's kind of like, who you are, but be careful, do not identify you are not a label. Mm-hmm. Best ways for you to take your uh, make decisions, why you may be reacting to certain things. So for instance, for me to truly understand how I was an empath, how I could really uh, take in other people's emotions and I did not know how to process them. So remember when I talked about emotions and holding on to emotions, I did not know how to process emotions. So our cells, your body keeps score is a beautiful book. Your cells keep memory of those emotions and of those stresses. And I didn't know how to release them. And that was a huge part of my healing journey, understanding how to better um manage those emotions right so Mm -hmm. so i find human design um if you're ever interested in kind of diving into it or looking at it 
just write it down, human design. You can go online, Google it, unload your chart and just start playing. So this is what I recommend. Have fun. We don't have fun anymore. We're so serious. Mm -hmm. We're no longer playful. And playfulness, there's huge, huge research coming out on how being playful supports your health. Have fun with it. Enjoy. If you can cultivate joy, epigenetics, I'm sorry, and this is important because I'm writing a chapter in a book exactly on this right now, it's uh, joy medicine. And not joy, Pollyanna, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about tapping back into that childlike wonder, curiosity. Joy for people is could be very different. For some, it's like, super energetic and vital others it's being content and calm right being centered so um joy medicine that is my last i'm gonna stop talking now because i think a lot (laughs) we covered a lot there's a lot to digest here but i love how you ended it off just you know with touching on those two things and those are two topics that i would love to talk about more on the podcast so we might have to have you back to talk a little bit more about human design the vagus nerve and some of that stuff because i think like you mentioned marrying the two worlds together of the super scientific but also stuff that we can't explain but just understanding it i think it's absolutely beautiful just to combine it all together and you know, bring, bring in these different avenues and aspects. And, and I, I find that super empowering just to, to bring in these, these different methods and modalities and, you know, genetics and traditional Chinese medicine and just having it all work together is so beautiful. Yeah. And I find human design for me does have an epigenetic component. So that's why I think I've tapped into it so much because I really think there is this huge uh, impact epigenetically with human design. Now, somebody that's super sign-based will say, what is she saying? It's not true. Um, But because it really impacts your perception, Um, it taps you back into your life purpose. Um, And it works really with... um, the different centers, right? So you're kind of understanding how your mind works and then, you know, throughout like how you're expressing yourself and then your heart and then, um, you know, your vitality and your emotions. And so it really, in your intuition and it kind of like all blends in. It's a, it's, it's, it's a really fun and beautiful um, subject, the human design. I love that. That's absolutely beautiful. And before I let you go, I just wanted to say thank you for being on and just extend lots of gratitude. And I can just tell how much you love these subjects. You get so passionate and I can just see it oozing out of you and and you're just meant to be doing this and and sharing and healing. And so I just wanted to say thank you so much for being on and for sharing everything. And my final question is where can everybody find you? Where <laughs> are you online? If someone wants to work with you, where are you hanging out? Okay, so I am online. I have a fusion practice, meaning uh, you can see me in person in the annex in Toronto. Or you can see me online, so I am accessible both ways. Um, there, uh, I guess the best thing would be probably my website to go there and then kind of look at the different services. There's different points of entries because I really do want to try to help 
as many people as I can. So I allow, or people can feel me. They're like, mm, let's, let's just do this to see if I like her or then. So there are different types of programs that, that I offer. And my website is, um, oh, do you want maybe to put it in? Because when yeah. I'm going to say Caroline, okay. <laughs> it's Caroline M. Saba at um, www. <laughs> email address sorry guys um so it's uh carolinemsaba.com so www.carolinemsaba and m stands for miriam just if anybody's um dot com yeah perfect and yes we'll put that all in the show notes below so people can just click and easily find you and they can follow me on instagram also so carolinemsaba on instagram and from there, please feel free. Just reach out, DM me, and and uh, we can book you in for. Um, I offer um, a free session, uh, not a free session, but a free uh, meet and greet where we can uh, kind of discuss what you're looking for and how I can potentially help you. Wonderful. Well, I appreciate that, and I'm so glad to have you on. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah.